you can either listen or you can watch or follow along as Brother Keith reads. Uh, so we got that up here for you can see that. And then uh, you should have an outline. Everybody got an outline? Afterwards, uh, this is kind of like school. He's going to give us a test. I hope we pass. Yeah. And so, uh, but uh, he, he helped us with the answers too. So uh, he's going to do two lessons tonight. So with no further ado, if y'all will, let's bring up Brother Keith. Uh, or not last week in the car, Pam pointed out that I mispronounced the word. And she did it positive. You know, we're talking about positive thinking. Like she did it positive. She did it sweetly. But I wanted to clarify. There was a word I pronounced it for bodies. Did anybody catch that I pronounced that wrong? I, you caught it. You caught it. I, Joyce Myers said in the book, and I read it, she'd never heard the word before. I, if, if I've ever heard that word before, I didn't know it. The word is forebodings. And uh, so if y'all ever come across that word again, it's forebodings, not forebodings. So I was corrected. And I'm glad she pointed it out. And like I said, she did it very nicely, very sweetly. And uh, so I want y'all to know, I'm sorry. I missed it. So uh, it's a word for anxious thoughts is what it was, if you remember. All right. So we're called up. <laughs> All right. uh, Pastor and I usually make it at least six months without making a mistake. But, uh, but I, 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 first week of January, I messed it up big time. Okay. Let's get to this. Okay. <clears throat> Think about what you're thinking about in the, in the first... Uh, verse is Psalms 119.15 it says I will meditate on your precepts and have respect to your ways which is the path of life marked out by your law the word of God teaches us that we should spend our time thinking about the promise said that he thought about or meditate on the precepts of God now that means that he spent a lot of time pondering and thinking on the ways of God, which is his instructions and his teachings. Now Psalms 1-3 says the person who does this shall be like a tree firmly planted and tended by the streams of water. And they'll be ready 
to bring forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not fade or wither, and everything he does shall prosper and come to maturity. It is very beneficial to think about God's word. The more time a person spends meditating on the word, the more he will reap from the word. Mark 4.24 says, Be careful for what you are hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure or virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. And more besides will be given to you who hear. She says, what a great scripture. It tells us that the more time we spend thinking about the word we read and hear, the more power and ability we will have to do it. The more revelation knowledge we have about what we have read or heard, this basically tells us that we will get from the word what we put into it. And that's true in everything, isn't it? You get out of something what you put into it. Now notice especially the promise that the amount of thought and study we devote to the word will determine the amount of virtue and knowledge that will come back to us. Vines, an expository dictionary of biblical words, says that in certain scriptures of the King James Version, the Greek word dunamis means power and is translated virtue. According to the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible, another translation of dunamis is ability. Most people do not delve into the Word of God very deeply. As a result, they get confused about why they're not powerful Christians living victorious lives. The truth is that most of them really don't much put much effort of their own into the study of the Word. They may go out, hear others teach and preach, they may listen to sermon CDs, or even read the Bible occasionally, but they're not really dedicated to making the Word a major part of their lives, including spending time thinking about it. See, the, the flesh is basically lazy, and many people want to get something for nothing with no effort on their part. However, that really isn't the way it works. She says it again. A person will get out of the word what he is willing to put into it. We go to the verse of Psalms 1, 1 through 2. It says, blessed, which is happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable, is the man who walks and lives not in the counsel of the ungodly, following their, their advice, their plans and purposes, nor stand submissive and inactive in the path where sinners walk, nor sits down to relax and rest where the scornful and the mockers gather. But his delight and desire in the law of the Lord and on his law, which are the precepts the instructions, the teaching gods, he will habitually meditate. And that's ponder and study by day and by night. Now, according to Webster, the word meditate means to reflect on or to ponder, to plan or intend in the mind, to engage in contemplation. Vines, an expository dictionary of biblical words, says that meditate means Primarily to care for, to attend, practice, be diligent in, to practice in the prevalent sense of the word, to ponder, imagine, to premeditate. Proverbs 4.20 says, My son, attend to my words, consent, and submit to my sayings. If we put Proverbs 4.20 together with these 
definition is the word meditate, we see that we attend to God's word by meditating on it, by pondering on it, by contemplating it, by rehearsing or practicing it in our thinking. The basic idea is that if we want to do what the word says, we must spend time thinking about it. Remember those saying, practice makes perfect. We really do not expect to be experts at anything in this life without a lot of practice. So why would we expect Christianity to be any different? Next verse is Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe and do according to all that is written in it. And then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall deal wisely and have good success. If you want to be a success and prosper in all your dealings, the Bible says you must meditate on the Word of God day and night. Let me read that sentence again. If you want to be prosperous and a success in all your dealings, the Bible says you must meditate on the Word of God day and night. She gives us a question says, how much time do we spend thinking about the Word of God? If you're having a problem in any area of life, an honest answer to this question may disclose the reason why. She says, most of my life I didn't think about what I was thinking about. I simply thought whatever fell into my head. I had no revelation that Satan could inject thoughts into my mind. Much of what was in my head was either lies that Satan was telling me are just plain nonsense. Things that really were not, you know, worth spending any time thinking about. The devil was controlling my life because he was controlling my thoughts. Ephesians 2, 3. Among these, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh, our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensual nature. Obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind. Paul warns us here that we are not to be governed by our sensual nature or to obey the impulses of the flesh, the thoughts of our carnal mind. Although I was a Christian and I was having trouble because I had not learned to control my thoughts. I thought about things that kept my mind busy but were not productive in a positive way. She says I needed to change my thinking. One thing the Lord spoke to my heart when he began to teach me about the battlefield of the mind became a major turning point for me. He said, think about what you're thinking about. As I began to do so, it was not long before I began to see why I was having so much trouble in my life. She says her mind was a mess. She was thinking all the wrong things. You see, she went to church. She had done so for years. But never actually thought about what she heard. I, it went in one ear and out the other, so to speak. I read some scriptures in the Bible every day, but never thought about what I was reading. I was not attending to the Word. I was not giving any thought or study to what I was hearing. Therefore, no virtue or knowledge was coming back to me. Psalms 48.9, we have, we have thoughts of your steadfast love, O oh God, in the midst of your temple. The psalmist David talked frequently about meditating on all the wonderful works of the Lord, which are the mighty acts of God. 
He said that he thought on the name of the Lord, the mercy of God, the love of God, and many other things. When he was feeling depressed, he wrote Psalms 143, 4 and 5, which says, Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed and faints within me, which is wrapped in gloom. My heart within my bosom grows numb. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I ponder the works of your hand. You see, from this passage, David's response to feeling of depression and gloom was not to meditate on that problem, but instead he gave, he actively came against the, the problem by choosing to remember the good times of past days. Now there's something to do. You know? Let me read that instead. Again. Instead, he actually came against the problem by choosing to remember the good times of past days, pondering the doings of God and the works of his hand. In other words, he thought on something good and it helped him to overcome depression. Never forget this, your mind plays an important role in your victory. I know that it is the power of the Holy Spirit working through the word of God that brings victory in our lives. But a large part of the work that needs to be done is for us to line up our thinking with God and His Word. And if we refuse to do this or choose to think it is unimportant, we're not going to experience victory. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world or this age, fashioned after or adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind by its new ideas and its new attitudes, so that you may prove for yourself what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is saying that if we want to see God's good and perfect will proven out in our lives, we can. If we have our minds renewed. Renewed to what? Renewed to God's way of thinking. By this process of new thinking, we will be changed or transformed into what God intends for us to be. Jesus has made this transformation possible by his death and resurrection. It becomes a reality in our lives by this process of the renewing of the mind. Let me say at this point, to avoid any confusion, that right thinking has nothing to do with salvation which I'm glad she included this paragraph. This is good. Salvation is based solely on the blood of Jesus. His death on the cross and his resurrection. Many people will be in heaven because they truly accepted Christ as their Savior, but many of these same people will never walk in victory or enjoy the good plan God has for their lives because they did not get their minds renewed according to the word. She says, for many years, I was one of those people. I was born again. I was going to heaven. I went to church, followed a form of religion. But I really had no victory in my life. The reason is because my, I was thinking on the wrong things. Philippians 4, 8, think on these things. For the rest, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of reverence, and is honorable and seemly, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and lovable, whatever is kind and winsome and gracious. 
If there's any virtue and excellence, if there's anything wor worthy of praise, think on and weigh and take account of these things and fix your mind on them. The Bible presents a lot of detailed instructions on what kind of things we are to think about. I'm sure that you can see from these various scriptures that we are instructed to think on good things, things that will build us up and not tear us down. Our thoughts certainly affect our attitudes and moods. Everything the Lord tells us is for our own good. He knows what will make us happy and what will make us miserable. When a person is full of wrong thoughts, he is miserable. And I've learned from personal experience that when someone is miserable, they usually wind up making others miserable also. You should take inventory on a regular basis and ask yourself, what have I been thinking about? Spend some time examining your own thought life. Think about what you're thinking is a very valuable because Satan usually deceives people into thinking that the source of their misery or trouble is something other than what it really is. He wants them to think they're unhappy due to what is going on around them, their, their circumstances. But the misery is actually due to what is going on inside of them or their thoughts. For many years, I really believed that I was unhappy because of things that others were doing or not doing. I blame my misery on my husband and my children. If they could be different, if they would be more attentive to my needs, if they would help around the house more, then I thought, you know, I'd be happy. It was one thing and then the other for years. I finally faced the truth, which that none of these things had to make me unhappy if I chose to have the right attitude. My thoughts were making me miserable. Let me say it one more time. Think about what you're thinking about. You may locate some of your problems and be on the way to freedom very quickly. Yeah. We're finished one part of this, and we're fixing to start part two, which is the condition of the mind. Um, I don't know if y'all have something that says introduction, but that, that's what I'm going to read as an introduction. It's short, and then we'll do chapter 8. The scripture that goes along with it is 1 Corinthians 2.16. It says, But we have the mind of Christ, the Messiah, and do hold the thoughts, feelings, and purposes of his heart. It asks the question, In what condition is your mind. Have you noticed that the condition of your mind changes? One time you may be calm and peaceful, and another time you may be anxious and worried. Or you may make a decision and be sure about it, and then later find your mind in a confused condition concerning the very thing you were previously so clear and certain about. There have been many times in my own life when I've experienced these things as well as others. There have been times when I seem to be able to believe God without any trouble, and then there have been times when doubt and unbelief haunted me mercilessly. Because it seems that the mind could be in so many different conditions, I began to wonder, when is my mind normal? Now there's a question. When is my mind normal? 
Hey. I wanted to know what was normal so I could learn to deal with the abnormal thinking patterns immediately upon their arrival. For example, a critical, judgmental, suspicious mind should be considered abnormal for a believer. However, for a major portion of my life, it was normal for me, although it should not have been. It was what I was used to, and even though my thinking was very wrong and caused a lot of problems in my life, I, I did not know that there was anything wrong with what I was believing. I did not know that I could do anything about my thought life. I was a believer, had been for years, but had no teaching at all about my thought life or about the proper condition for a believer's mind to be in. Our minds are not born again with a new birth experience. They have to be renewed. Romans 12, 2. As I said several times, the renewal of the mind is a process that requires time. Don't be devastated, even if you're reading the next part of this book and discover that most of your time, your mind is a condition that's abnormal. So, if y'all are abnormal, don't be worried. She says that. So. Hey. Let me, abnormal for someone claiming to Christ as their Savior. Recognize the problem is the first step toward recovery. In my own case, I began to get a lot more serious about my relationship with the Lord several years ago. And it was at that time that he began revealing to me that many of my problems are rooted in wrong thinking. My mind was a mess. I doubted it ever been in the condition that it should have been. And if it was, it didn't last long. I was overwhelmed when I began to see how much wrong thinking I was addicted to. I would try to cast down the wrong thoughts that came to my mind, and they would come right back. But little by little, freedom and deliverance did come. Satan will aggressively fight against the renewal of your mind, but it is vital that you press on and continue to pray and study in this area until you gain measurable victory. Question, when is your mind normal? Is it supposed to wander all over the place? Or you should be able to keep it focused on what you're doing. Should you be upset and confused? Or you should be peaceful and reasonably sure the direction uh, you should be taking in life? Should your mind be full of doubt and unbelief? Should you be anxious and worried, tormented by fear? Or is it a privilege of the child of God to cast all your cares upon him? 1 Peter 5, 7. The word of God teaches us that we have the mind of Christ. What do you think his mind is like when he lived on earth? Not only as the son of God, but also the son of man. Prayerfully proceed into the next part of the battlefield of mind. I believe it will open up your eyes to normal and abnormal mindsets for the person who is a disciple of Jesus and who has determined to walk in victory. Amen. Go to chapter 8. The question is, when is my mind normal? She gives a, 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 a scripture verse of Ephesians 1, 17, 18. For I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and he grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation of insights into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him 
by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light so that you may know and understand the hope to which he has called you and how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints, his set-apart ones. Notice that Paul prays that you and I gain wisdom by having the eyes of our hearts enlightened. She says, now, based on what she studied, she describes the eyes of the heart as the mind. <clears throat> as, con as Christians, in, in what condition should our minds be? In other words, what should be the normal state of the mind of the believer? In order to answer this question, we must look at different functions of the mind and spirit. According to the Word of God, the mind and the spirit work together. This is what I call the principle of the mind aiding the spirit. And to better understand this principle, let's see how it works in the life of a believer. 1 Corinthians 2.11 For what person perceived knows and understands what passes through a man's thoughts except the man's own spirit within him. Just so no one discerns, comes to know and comprehend the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And when a person receives Christ as his personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in him. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. Just as a person's own spirit within him is the only one who knows his thoughts, so the Spirit of God is the only one who knows the mind of God. Now, I know we know that. I, I read that several times, and I got thrilled every time I read it. And I, and I knew it, but it was just good. So I, you're going to get to hear it twice. <laughs> when a person receives Christ as his personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in him. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. Just as a person's own spirit within him is the only one who knows his thoughts, so the Spirit of God is the only one who knows the mind of God. Since the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and since he knows the mind of God, know one of his purposes is to reveal to us God's wisdom and revelation. That wisdom and revelation is imparted to our spirits, and our spirits then enlighten the eyes of our heart, which is our mind. The Holy Spirit does this so we can understand on a practical level what is being ministered to us spiritually. She asks the question again, normal or abnormal? As believers, we are spiritual and we are also natural. The natural does not always understand the spiritual. Therefore, it is vitally necessary for our minds to be enlightened concerning on what's going on in our spirits. The Holy Spirit desires to bring us enlightenment, but the mind often misses what the Spirit is attempting to reveal to us because it's too busy. A busy mind is abnormal. The mind is normal when it's at rest, not blank, but at rest. The mind should not be filled with reasoning, worry, anxiety, fear, and the like. It should be calm, quiet, and serene. As we proceed in this second section of the book, you will observe several abnormal conditions of the mind and possibly recognize them as frequent conditions of your own mind. It is important to understand that the mind needs to be kept in the normal condition described in this chapter. Compared with the usual condition 
of our minds and you will see why we frequently have very little revealed to us by the Holy Spirit and why far too often we feel ourselves lacking in wisdom and revelation. Now remember, the Holy Spirit attempts to enlighten the mind of the believer. The Holy Spirit gives information from God to uh, that person's spirit, and if his spirit and mind are aiding one another, then they can walk in divine wisdom and revelation. But if the mind is too busy, it will miss what the Lord is attempting to reveal to him through and by his spirit. <clears throat> First Kings 19, 11 and 12, the still small voice. And he said, go forth, stand upon the mountain, mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountain, and break in pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and at the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And at the earthquake a fire, the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. For years I prayed for revelation, asking God to reveal things to me by his spirit, which lived in me. I knew that uh, that request was scriptural. I believed the word and felt sure I should be receiving, uh, asking and receiving. Yet much of the time I felt like I was a spiritual dunce. Then I learned that I was not receiving much of what the Holy Spirit wanted to reveal to me simply because my mind was so wild and busy that it was missing the information that was being offered. Imagine two people there in a room. One's trying to whisper a secret to the other. If the room is filled with a loud noise, even though the message is being communicated, the one waiting on the secret information will miss it simply because the room is too noisy and he can't hear Unless he's paying close attention, he may not even realize he's being spoken to. That is the way it is with communication between God's Spirit and our spirit. The ways of the Holy Spirit are gentle most of the time. He speaks to us as he did to the prophet in this passage, which is a still, small voice. It is therefore vital that we learn to keep ourselves in a condition conducive to hearing. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Then what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, by the Holy Spirit that is within me. I'll also pray, pray intelligently with my mind and understanding. Perhaps a better way to understand this principle of mind aiding spirits is to think of, pr is to think of prayer. It, it, is this first Apostle Paul said that he prayed both with his spirit and with his mind. I understand what Paul's talking about because I do the same thing. I frequently play in the spirit, which is an unknown tongue. And after praying that way for a while, often something will come to my mind to pray in English, which is my, her known tongue. I believe in this way the mind aids the spirit. They work together to get the knowledge and wisdom of God to me in a way that I can understand it. This, is also, this also works in reverse. There are times when I want to pray, so I make myself available to God for prayer. If there's no particular stirring in my spirit, 
I simply begin to pray out of my mind. I pray about issues or situations that I'm aware of. Sometimes these prayers, they, they seem flat. There's no help coming from my spirit. I seem to be struggling. So I go on to something else uh, that, I, that I already know about. And I continue in this fashion until the Holy Spirit within me takes hold with me on some issues or issue. When he does, then I know I have hit on something that he wants me to pray about. Not just something I'm trying to pray about. In this way, my mind and my spirit are working together, aiding one another in accomplishing the will of God. First Corinthians 14, 13 and 14. Therefore, the person who speaks in an unknown tongue should pray for the power to interpret and explain what he's just said. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit, by the Holy Spirit within me, prays, but my mind is unproductive. It bears no fruit and helps nobody. Another example of the way the spirit and the mind work together is the gift of tongues and interpretation. If you are not familiar with the gift of the Holy Spirit, I strongly encourage you to study them in Scripture and keep an open mind to God in this area. Pray and ask Him to teach you about all the spiritual, uh, supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit and even to lead you a good resource to help you study and gain understanding. And she gives 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, 14 as a good place to start. When I pray in tongues, my mind is unfruitful until God gives me, gives either me or someone else the understanding of what I am saying, then my mind becomes fruitful. Please keep in mind that the gifts are not, are not tongues and translation. Translation is, is an exact word-for-word -word account of the message, whereas an interpretation one person gives of an understanding is what another another has said, but in the interpreter's own style as expressed through his own particular personality. Let me give you an example. Sister Smith may stand up at church and give a message in an unknown tongue. It has come for her from her spirit, and neither she nor anyone else knows what she said. God may cause me to understand what the passage was, but perhaps in a general way. As I step out in faith and begin to interpret what was spoken, I make the message understandable to all. But it comes through me in my own unique way of expression. Praying in the Spirit in an unknown tongue and interpretation of that unknown tongue is a marvelous way to understand the principle of the mind-aiding Spirit. The Spirit is speaking something and the mind is giving understanding. Now just think about this, if Sister Smith speaks in an unknown tongue and God is looking for someone to give forth the interpretation, he, may, he, he will have to pass me by if my mind is too wild and busy to listen. Even if he tries to give the interpretation to me, I will not receive it. When I was young in the Lord and learning about spiritual gifts, I prayed almost exclusively in tongues. After quite some time had passed, I began to feel bored with my prayer life. As I talked to the Lord about it, he let me know that I was bored because I had no understanding of what I was praying about. 
Although I realize I don't always have to understand what I'm saying when I pray in spirit. I have learned that this type of prayer is out of balance and not the most fruitful if I never have any understanding. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace whose mind, both its inclination and its clarity, be stayed on you because he commits himself to you, leans on you, and hopes confidently in you. I hope you can readily see from these examples that your mind and your spirit certainly do work together and the two are closely linked to one another. Therefore, it is utmost importance that your mind be maintained in a normal condition. Otherwise, it cannot aid your spirit in helping you live a spirit-filled life. Satan, of course, knows this fact, and so he attacks your mind, waging war against you on the battlefield of your mind. He wants to overload and overwork your mind by filling it with all, with every kind of wrong thought so that it cannot be free and available to the Holy Spirit working through your own human spirit. The mind should be kept peaceful, as the prophet Isaiah t tells us. When the mind is stayed on the right things, it will be at rest. Yet the mind should also be alert. This becomes impossible when it's loaded down with things it's never intended to carry. Think it over. How much time is your mind normal? Amen. Well, that does it for that. Um, I hope you got some things out of it. I did. If you, if you ever do anything like this, either teach or speak like this, believe me, if, you, if, if you've never done it, you get a lot more out of it. And, and I encourage all of you, if pastor asks, jump at it. See, I, that's me. I'll do it. I'm in. You'll do that. Just remember, forebodings, it's not forebodings. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, do the questions. Let's go to chapter 7, see how smart y'all are. Uh, chapter 7, question 1. What are we to spend our time thinking about or meditating on? And how will this benefit us? The answer is the precepts of God, which is his instructions and teaching. And how will it benefit us? We will prosper and come to maturity. The precepts of God, his instructions and teachings, can help us prosper and come to maturity. Number two, what does this statement tell us? The more time we spend thinking about the word we read in here, the more power and ability we will have to do it. The more revelation knowledge we will have about what we have read and heard. What does that statement tell us? Answer is we're going to get out of the word of God what we put into it. I apologize. I didn't hear you. Uh-huh. 
course. Yes, I agree with you. And uh, it's just what he's, yes, just what you said. The more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. The more you study, it, it, I think Pastor, I think it was you Sunday, said the word if may jump out at you. I mean, I mean, it just, just something could be revealed to you you never saw before in the word each and every time that you study it. Good point. Good question. just said, you know, um, abnormal mind and normal mind. I guess abnormal will be spending six hours, four hours, whatever you spend watching that TV set. When, let's say you got to spend four hours in the Bible, but you could spend some time. Uh, it would, I guarantee it benefits you. There was somebody that I knew years ago said they having trouble sleeping. I said, well, why not try reading the Bible when that happens to you? If it's devil messing with you, he'll let you sleep. And uh, if it's not the devil, it'll do you good anyway. So anyway, they took the advice and they, got to, they actually got to put some sleep. Amen. Okay. To be, why aren't most Christians living victorious lives? Do not delve into the Word of God very deeply. As a result, they get confused about why they are not powerful Christians living victorious lives. I know it's a long, but um, once again, the answer is they don't, they don't delve into the Word very deeply. It's what I just said. And they get confused why, not, why they're not living the victorious life. Three A. How do we attend to God's word? The answer is by meditating on it, by pondering on it, by contemplating it, by rehearsing or practicing it in our thinking. 
Years ago, I, I used to write down verses and put them on an index card. And every time I put my hand in my pocket, I pull it out and read it. You had, you could ponder, you could think about it. I need to go back to that. I'm going to do that. I know it's a little late for New Year's resolution, but I'll make that one. That's my second one. I, I give up broccoli this year. <laughs> hey. ah, where am I at? Uh, uh, 3B, 3B. How does the old saying, practice make perfect, pertain to Christianity? The answer is we really do not expect to be experts at anything in life without a lot of practice. So why would we expect Christianity to be any different? Amen. Mr. J.R.C. is close to being an expert in baseball. Got pro scouts looking at him. He practiced a little bit, doesn't he, Mr. Phil? He practiced a lot. <laughs> he told me he was even adding a, an exercise program Sunday to, to help him. He wants to be an expert. And that's what, anything we do in life, we've got to spend some time into it. Amen. For a, if you want to be a success and prosper in all your dealings, the Bible says you must, and the answer is meditate on the Word of God day and night. Meditate on the Word of God day and night. Four B. How does the devil control people's lives? He does it by controlling their thoughts. I'm gonna go a little faster. We're losing time. If y'all need me to slow down, tell me, okay? Five <laughs> uh, A. The Apostle Paul warns us that we are not to be governed by or to obey. The answer is. Our sensual nature, the impulses of our flesh, the thoughts of our carnal mind. 5B, why must we think about what we are thinking about? The answer is to be sure that, that we're not thinking all the wrong things. 6A, what was... King David's response to his feelings of depression and gloom. He literally came. He literally came through the problem by cho choosing to remember the good times of past days. He pondered the good doings of God. He remembered what happened in the past. God came through for him. Six B. What role does our mind play in our victory? It is the power of the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God that brings victory in our lives. But we need to line up our our thinking with the Word of God. Line up your thinking with the Word of God. Seven A. Why is renewing our minds so vital? So that we may prove for ourselves what is a good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So that we may prove for ourselves what is a good and acceptable, perfect will 
of God. Seven B. To what should our minds be renewed? The answer is God's way of thinking. God's way of thinking. Eight A. Why are we instructed to think on good things? The answer is our thoughts affect our attitudes and moods. Our thoughts affect our attitudes and moods. 8b, why does Satan deceive people as to the source of their mystery? He, he wants them to think it's something other than what it really is. Their circumstances when it's actually their thoughts. How can thinking about what you're thinking about help you? The answer is it can help you locate some of your problems and be on your way to freedom very quickly. Okay, I, I know I speed it up. Does anybody need me to go over one? Sir? Yes, sir. No, sir. Uh, sir is fine. Or, uh, my name is Keith. Keith is fine. I'll let Pastor West address that. We do on some of these, but our, our time's limited, and because of school, we try to, we try to, most of the little ones are in bed by 8.30, and some of them, if you look around, are, are asleep. You know, just for the fun of fellowship, but to you know, to get people in and out so they can get home and maybe get up homework and get kids in bed. We we'll have to keep it to a certain time, but we can certainly talk at the service for anyone who wants to talk. I want to give you one part here in uh, on the meditation part. If you look at John 15 real quickly.
I've read after many of what we has referred to as a um, there's a series was put out a number of years ago where um, uh, Robert Slaredon put together a whole series in in a video uh, actually it was in the days of VCRs of what we call God's generals and what he did is he 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 took people who had lived and died or were still alive but most of these are people who lived and died who majorly impacted their generation and around the world and a lot of them had miracle ministries uh, a lot of them were you know evangelists who who just uh, maybe not had a miracle ministry but reached thousands and thousands of people around the world and uh but he he did it from the he did it from the aspect of looking at some things that the, the good part, but also some things that maybe caused some of them to have downfalls, and um, and so from the perspective of you know uh, if you, if he was ever if he was raised up with a, a family if you, unless she was an only child, um, Kristen used to say because she was the last of ours out of four, she, she would say you know. Uh, I'm not going to do that. You know why? Because she saw what the other three got. <laughs> in other words, uh, I'm not going to do that because the, that don't seem like that works too good in this household. So, in other words, we could learn from others. So, this series of God's journals it was kind of a biography of these men and women who had been who had impacted their generation. But uh, kind of like Proverbs, Solomon supposed to be the wisest man in the world, right? And uh, God gave such wisdom, but if you read the end of Proverbs, he kind of got stupid. I mean, if you need 600 wives or 800 wives, whatever it was, wow, that's a to-do list you'll never get through with. And you may think it has great benefits, but uh, there's a lot of ways to die. But anyway, uh, in these series, most uh, I, said, I said all that to say this, in most of those series, the men and women that, that we know very well, like Smith Wigglesworth, um, John Wesley, the, the, the founder of uh, Methodism or the Methodist Church, uh, Catherine Kuhlman, people like this, William Brandon said, E.W. Kenyon said, we never saw or heard of anyone in our lifetime who did very much to impact uh, the world who wasn't meditators of the word. I thought it was going to be something real supernatural because these were mostly miracle ministries that were saying this. They said, if you don't take time to meditate the world or, or the word of God, you'll probably never do much to impact the world. And so in John 15, Jesus taught this himself. Uh, in verse 4, he said, if you abide in me and I in you, abide in me and I'll, I'll abide in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same will bring forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, or you could say meditate. See, part of meditating is abiding in the word, right? So he said, if, if, if you do not meditate or you don't abide in me, you're cast forth as a branch is withered. Men gather them, cast them in the fire, and they're burned. Look at verse 7. If you abide or meditate in me, and my words are abiding in you. Now, now, how can God's word abide in you? There's no way unless you meditate on it, right? But look at the problem of this. If you abide in me and my words abide or you're meditating my word, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done. He's telling you how to get all your prayers answered. 
Now, um, a lot of you have heard me make this statement that I'm about to make, but maybe I, you don't know where it's at. Um, let's see if y'all still remember the answer to this. How do you know? How, how do you know that you've been abiding in the Word and it's working? It does what? What what speaks to you? The Word speaks to you. The question, once again, how do I know that I've properly meditated the Word? The answer is, the Word will speak to you. You want scripture for that? How many want scripture for that? Go to Proverbs chapter 6. This is a really cool scripture right here. Anyone ever had, you've been in a situation and maybe you prayed about something or or something's just going on, and all of a sudden the scripture runs through your mind or just kind of comes up about that situation. What's happening? Well, that's what George Meyer's talking about, where the spirit and the mind are working together. And so this word that you've studied or you've known or you've heard or you've, you know, you've applied to your life maybe at another time is now coming up. What is that? It's the it's Holy Spirit living in you who's bringing that word to remembrance like you used to talk about a while ago, about meditating on the Word, then you get more revelation. Or, or it may not even be more revelation, it's just reminding you, remember Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, He'll be just like me. He'll teach you what I've, what I've showed you. He'll, he'll teach you things I haven't taught you yet, and he'll, he'll call to remembrance things that I have spoken to you. So these are things that may come back as a remembrance. Look at uh, Proverbs 6, and then we'll look at verse, uh, start with verse 20. He said, My son, keep my father's commandments and forsake not the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart and tie them about your neck. When thou goest, see these commandments, or we could just say the word. When you go, it will lead you. What will? The word. When you sleep, it will keep you. So you can sleep like he said. And when you awake, it will talk with you. The word will talk to you if you spend time meditating, reflecting on the word. So um, uh, that's the what, what she entitled it was. What was the title of it? You know, the, uh, thinking about what you're thinking about. That's real simple. It's a good. It's a good title, but it's it's pretty deep. Think about what you're thinking about. And uh, it's like Keith was talking about towards the end, and thank you, did an awesome job there. Um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's time of preparation is what it is. Think about people who, who compete in the Olympics. Um, I used to, as in junior high and high school, I used to like to run. Um, I never was good at, you know, like the 50-yard dash like that, I, was, I, I could do more of a marathon. Uh, I never competed for less than six or 800 meters. But uh, and if, if we were going to run half a mile to a mile, I, I could do that very well. The reason I could do that very well is because all my life I wanted a motorcycle, and all my life my parents said no. I consistently wanted one, and they consistently said no. So the, my form of transportation was a bicycle. So when I got the age of 15 years of age, uh, we lived five miles 
in Clant, where we was in Clant, we lived five miles to to town, five five and a half miles. And I got me a I got a job at the uh, used to be a well you know where Fred's is in Clanton, but further down. Can anyone remember when that used to be Elmore's Five and Dime Store? You have to be have some age on you to remember. Well, I used to work there during the summer. There was a problem. I didn't have no way to get there, and everybody was gone to work already. So during so what I did is I got out my bicycle and I went five miles to work and five miles back. Doing that, because I was going up a lot of hills, uh, I encountered a lot of uh, country yard dogs. <laughs> and um, so I learned different ways to deal with these dogs. Uh, sometimes it was with Alpo, uh, but I learned you know, how to, to get on my bike, it, unless I was going uphill. Uh, if I was going downhill, I could you know, put all my, throw my leg to the other side and hold the bike this way. And they'd be on that side of me, trying to attack me. And then if I was going down until they came on the other side, I'd, I'd go back on the other side. But I also had a stick where I would just slap them upside the head if I needed to. But in, in that sense, so I was riding 10 miles a day or a minimum of 50 miles a week. So I had some endurance. And so when we got ready to run, you know, when most people would be like, you know, after running two, 300 yards, I was just getting started. Well, kind of like in the Olympics, someone might train for a six or 800 meter race and think about it. How, how long does it take in a race to run probably six or 800 meters? Just a short little time, right? Can you imagine training four years for it? For an event that's gonna last just a minute or so, minute or two, whatever it is. <clears throat> and that that's what we're doing is we're we're in training. And like I said, a lot of people go to church for different reasons. They come in and the biggest best thing that ever happens to them is when they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and they're born again. But where are they born again at? In their spirit. Up here, it's just like it was before you was born again. Now you may have all kind of feelings and emotions. You you might be happy like I, I was so happy when I got saved because I thought Jesus was gonna come the next morning. And I was happy because I was 10 years old. I think I got to the age of accountability, but I realized there must be a heaven and hell. And uh, at 10 years old, I was doing some bad stuff, you know. And, uh, well, I got to the place where I knew right from wrong. And I thought, and I always was in church, so I knew there must be a God. And it wasn't my love for God. It was my fear of hell. That's what it was. Let's be honest with you. So I got saved on a Wednesday night, but I was convinced Jesus would come before church was on a Wednesday night. I got saved on a Wednesday night. I'll never forget it. And when I got saved, because I didn't know I could ask Jesus to come to my heart all day at school, I thought you had to be in church. Someone had to preach a sermon. They had to give an altar call. Then you had to come forward. And that's what I thought at 10. I was just afraid that we would never get to Wednesday at 7 o'clock. So I told my mother, I said, when you ask Brother Collector, when he gives the message to give an altar call because he won't do that on a Wednesday night. But please ask him to give the altar call. I thought if Jesus came while he was preaching and I hadn't gone up there yet, I would still go to hell. That was, it, was, it was torment all day long. So when he said at the end of the service, he says, is there anyone here? I went, <laughs> I mean, I was like roadrunner, beep, beep. <laughs> and, when I, and when he prayed for me and I got saved, 
It was like the hallelujah choir, just hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, I was born again. I was so happy. I was ready to go to heaven, right? But you know what I knew about here? About God, the kingdom of God, and how to live as a Christian? Didn't know anything. So that's what she's talking about is properly meditating on the word. If you want to be successful do this, it's a process, but you go to the word. Scripture says the just live by faith. In other words, they go to the one who knows everything, and they open up the word, and they begin to get God's thoughts, God's patterns, what God says, and then we should change our life by the power of his spirit within us. In other words, we just think because God's holy, he's against everything that's unholy. And the truth is, he is. But let me tell you why he is. People say, well, no, no. Does God want you to smoke? No. Of course he don't. Does he want you to spit? No. Does he want you to drink alcohol? No. Does God want you to do drugs? No. Does God want you to... Why? Because he's right. Think about that. Is God interested in taking all your fun away? You know, the, the sins that we're involved in is the ones that we've chosen that we like. Y'all got real quiet on me. The things that we miss it when we fall and we make mistakes is the ones that, we, that, that our flesh likes. Right? What you may deal with, I don't deal with. What I may deal with, you don't deal with. Like the woman, I was kidding, but on the show, you know, and she had this deal where she eats 15 boxes of cornstarch a day. Does anyone suffer with that one? That you, that you, you know, you're just, you're, you're a cornstarcher? Now, you, they are silly, but that woman has got, uh, has got some severe problems. So when I go to the Word of God and I see something, you say, why does, why does God do this? Or why would God send me to hell for this? Or why do this? Or why do this? Or why does God do this? Because he's right. See, God loves you so much. He loves you so much, and he knows, what's, he knows what's best for us. He knows how gossip can hurt us and the other person. He knows living certain lifestyles, what it can do to us and the other person. And God doesn't want you to be, have an unhappy life. God doesn't want you to have a short life. He wants you to have a, a long, prosperous life, and he knows what's best for us. So we're supposed to accept by faith this, Right? Because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. It's not because he's totally against this. It's because he knows where that will take us. See what I'm saying? So a lot of times we're just rejecting things and we're saying, well, we just believe for God's mercy because I'm going to keep on doing this. So I want to keep on doing this because it makes me feel good or I like this or I or like that. You know, why is God against sex before marriage? Because he's right. Because he knows the problems that come along with that in relationships. He, he knows everything about everything. So, so what do we do? Well, we have a choice, don't we? So that or anything else. So we go to the Word. We meditate on the Word. We're to receive the Word. You say, well, I, I don't think I, I, I can't keep that. It's too hard to keep it. You're right. You can't keep that. That's why Galatians... Paul said, walk in the spirit, or walk in the, what was it saying? Walk in the spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
See, it's not the lust of your born-again spirit. It's the lust of the flesh. These things are fleshy things. Fleshy desires, fleshy sins, fleshy temptations. That's contrary to the Word of God. How do do you overcome that temptation or the wrong thing? Paul said, walk in the Spirit, Galatians 6, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Or be energized, empowered by the Spirit, so that you do not fulfill the unholy thing. He didn't say, just do the best you can, and just, you know, that's not victory. Victory is if, you know, if I have a thing for alcohol and every time I got to go to the grocery store and walk by the beer counter or the, or the wine, I go, uh, trying to get past. That's not victory, right? But if I have a temptation in that area, I can come to him and I can say, Father, I thank you right now that greater is he that's in me than he's in the world. Your word says this, and because it says this, you're right. And you want what's best for me, and you want what's best for my family. You want what's best for, you know, if you're married, your husband and wife. You want, you want what's best for us. So I'm going to ask your Holy Spirit to help me right now in this area. Thank you, Lord, for giving me grace to overcome this. And watch what begins to happen on the inside. Now, I have to know what the Word says about that to put it in here to ask for the help, which comes through meditation which comes through Bible study. But see, but if I'm just going because they sing good or someone likes me or they ask me to play an instrument, then see, that's good to have the relationships, but what do I really need? I need to know the Word, right? I need the Word to be a success. So, all right. Well, thank you, Mr. Keith, and we'll continue on uh, till we get through the book. Is this helping anyone? Good. Um, we're going to give you an opportunity to give if you're here tonight. Maybe you're sometimes on Wednesday night. This some people do their tithe and other people's their offerings. But if you're here and you want to give, just raise your hand. We'll get you an offering envelope. And the word says, "Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap." It says that in Galatians six, and actually, what Paul was talking about in that verse was money. Hmm. That verse gets used a lot in other ways. You sow bad seed, you're going to get, okay. But what Paul was talking about, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Paul was talking about financial provision. Afterwards, uh, the service. I need to see for just a moment uh, the praise and worship team that's here for just a moment. Just talk to you for just a moment uh, right after the service. I appreciate about two minutes of your time. All right. Y'all ready? Father, we just give you praise and honor and glory tonight. Thank you, Lord, for everyone who's here. Father, we just uh, Thank you for the, uh, the word that we heard tonight, and we just received that word. You said those who hear, receive, and act upon it, those are the ones who are going to be blessed. So we, with purpose, by purpose, and on purpose, have heard the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and we receive that right now. And we thank you, Lord, for the blessing that's attached to that. And, Lord, uh, tonight as we give, 
We give by faith, and we give with a cheerful, joyous heart. We give because we want to. But we also understand that what, what we do sow is what we do reap. So we just uh, thank you for the privilege to, to give tonight, to sow into to good ground that will produce a, a bountiful harvest in our lives. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you on Sunday morning. Now, you're, some, there might be some of your uh, given statements if you was here, s contributions for 2014. Um, if you fill out an envelope that has your name on it and has the amount on it, and you did that last year, then we have a way of keeping up with it. And um, if you gave cash and there's no name on it, uh, I don't have no way of knowing that. It, it could have came any which way but so if you're if you need that some people want to do it for their taxes uh it might still be on the table back there i think some of them are so uh, don't forget to get your giver statement amen see you sunday